right, here it is. Playoff edition of Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners. And after the first two games for the St. Louis Blues, I'm thinking that there probably should have been a lot of bourbon going over for the for if you're you blues fans. Oh my goodness, is it been a tough road for the St. Louis Blues out in Colorado? We welcome in John Hadley. We welcome in Tim Woodburn. And fellas, uh well. Let's react to game one and two, and then we'll look ahead to games three and four starting tomorrow night with game three on home ice. And by the way, the Blues allowed to put about 9,000 fans in the arena. Hey, let me ask you guys this before we even get going on this. And and I don't want to – we spent a lot of time in the early days of this podcast talking about the COVID impact of the season and what we thought it would be. But I'm just – I am sitting here amazed when we are still looking at some arenas that have – 2,000 fans. Some have 12,000. In St. Louis, it'll be 9,000. So I think what we have really done is essentially science makes no difference because I don't I don't understand the difference between 9,000 and 12,000 and 15,000. Well, I think it has to do, in theory, I mean, obviously it's local laws, but also the size of the arena, which obviously would not factor in with a 2,000 crowd unless they were playing at University of Nova Scotia. Um, but no, it's... Well, like, here's, here's an example. Here's you, an example. You, you, know my, you, know my, you, know, you know my feeling about the COVID stuff. Ultimately, when you get down to it, it's just... It, it, what, what goes on is inexplicable. I mean, it's just... It, it's just... Things are just done on the whim of local, state, and obviously national politicians, and we just sit back and Sort of watch yeah, well, here's here, the, the interesting one for me is kind of this, like locally, and I, we, we won't spend much time on this. I just got to throw this out there. But uh, so come a few weeks, you can put a full crowd at Bush Stadium, but the Muni and Forest Park can only go to 40,000 or it can, is only doing 60%. Uh, that Okay, things like that. They, those are things that just make me scratch my head and say, what in the blank? But having said that, I don't know how you guys have felt just generally about these playoffs, but when you turn on a game and you see the crowd like you've seen in Carolina or you see these other buildings, and, and we'll see 9,000 in St. Louis tomorrow night when the Blues play game three, God, have I missed sports with fans in the stands, even just from a watching and listening perspective. I, for one, I personally, I have not enjoyed sports without the fans in the stands. It's It's been, it has just not never felt right, and... And, and it, it is so nice to get the fans back in there because it even changes the experience, whether you're watching on TV or listening on the radio. And, Chris, you know, you and I called a lot of minor league games in towns and in arenas in which oftentimes the, the facility was less than 50% full and, you know, sometimes even less than 25% full, depending on the, the, day, the day of the week and the game that occurred. And, and I recall bluntly, those games where the crowd was not a factor at all. And, and the one thing I've been surprised with is like in the Washington Boston series and in, the, in some of the other series, other than the blues Colorado is, is even the TV commentators are talking about with the limited crowds being what they are, how loud and how much of a factor that they've been. I mean, it's, that's kind of, you know, I've never really seen that before a playoff game with 5,000 people at it, you know, instead of 19 and, uh, and you can hear it as it comes through on the TV, you can hear that the crowds are a factor and the players are, 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 are absorbing that adrenaline that the fans can provide. And certainly, I mean, at this point, <laughs> the Blues need something. 
you know, I, I don't know. If the, the, I, I doubt the fans are enough, but I mean, it, hopefully it can it, it, at least give them some kind of a jolt. I, I got to think that yeah. if you're one of these blues players, John, you're, you're looking forward to just to coming home and at least having that atmosphere, which you, and then look, we've had, we've had up to about 4,000, 5,000 fans for the last few weeks of games anyway, but doubling that size is going to be noticeable. Oh, I don't think there's any question about it. You know, I have not run across too many athletes that didn't admit that a revved up crowd gets them rubbed up. Now, at some point in time in the game, it sort of becomes a moot point, but in certain aspects, it makes, it makes the world a difference. I, mean, I, I, I guarantee you, teams don't want to come to St. Louis to play the Blues at Enterprise, and they don't want to come to St. Louis to play the Cardinals at Bush. It's just that simple. So, I mean, regardless of what the win-loss records say, you still rather play you know, on your home ice. And I, I will put it to you this way. I've downplayed the COVID thing because it is what it is. Cam Jansen has repeated many, many things that you said, um, and, and you're both right. I just choose not to talk about it because what I remember was no one being in the arena, including the athletes. And just getting the sport back across the board, sports back, made a huge difference. But now that we're nearing the end, I will say this much, um, in particular, in particular, with the Carolina games against Nashville, um, anybody who wanted to debate your contention or Cam Jansen's contention, uh, contention are just absolutely clueless. You know, I mean, I, I, I chose not to deal with it because I just knew part of reality and this crazy crap was going to happen. And if I spent time talking about everything or this wasn't perfect or that wasn't perfect, you know, that all I was doing was in many ways spitting my wheels. But I think Carolina, that crowd was so phenomenal. The volume, the, the natural volume in that stadium coming across the TV was so phenomenal. The antics after the game, so cool. And it speaks loudly to your contention and that of, uh, Mr. Jansen. Ab- absolutely. All right, let's jump into games Games one and two, guys. Uh, there's a lot of dominance that Colorado has exerted. Uh, we have not seen the St. Louis Blues be able to slow down the Nathan McKinnon line, whether it be at even strength or on the power play. And Nathan McKinnon has put on an absolute show. And, and before we kind of get into what the Blues need to be doing differently or what we think should be happening differently, I, I've always taken this stance in sports. Sometimes there's also credit on the other side. And McKinnon and Landis Cog have gone into absolute beast mode. And, and you can tell that these two guys are playing like two players that each of the last two years got ousted in the seventh game of the second round, which they have, and, and are doing anything and everything they can to prove a point. That they have raised their game to an, a very, very impressive level. And, um, and no matter what the Blues are doing right now, I, I don't think just as a, as an analyst, as a commentator, even as a fan of the game, you take an ounce of credit away from what we're seeing from McKinnon and Lindis, Landis Cog. Kurt, I spent an hour on St. Louis radio on this Thursday telling people, stop telling me what the Blues are doing wrong and send me your address so that I can get you a check to buy a clue. Because this series is not about what the Blues are doing wrong. This series is about what Colorado is doing right. 
And your statement on McKinnon might be an understatement. I don't know that I've seen an individual play two better games in a playoff series, whether it's the first or the cup final. I mean, he's hitting shots, curbs. That shot last night, first goal. Yes, Bennington, Bennington had no chance. But the fact of the matter is, you had three guys in front of that, and one guy off to Bennington's right. And there was just a little bit of space that he could fit that puck into. And he aimed, took his time, squared up, and put the puck in the only place he could be. I mean, well, this, this guy is playing lights out, and I will pose this question, hopping, uh, putting it on top of your question to Tim Woodburn. Yes, everything Curb said about these guys wanting to make a, make a point is unquestionably true. How much did Ryan O'Reilly inflame this thing with his comments prior to the series? Well, I brought it up when he said it. I said, I, it's been a long time since I've seen a, a, a guy guarantee, uh, not necessarily guarantee, but basically say we're going to beat him. Um, I don't know that that was a, enough to inflame Colorado. Colorado is uh, a, a behemoth that this is not a one-year wonder, even though Landis Scott is unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. He'd be stupid not to come back. All their star players are so young. And, and and for O'Reilly to say that it was a little, it was too much. He shouldn't have. I don't. I don't. I don't think at this level though that players use that as additional motivation. The Blues are just getting outclassed, and not only getting outclassed, they're getting out meaned. You know, Landeskog goes and chases after Brent, uh, Braden Shen after he has a clean open ice hit on Ranton, and and then kind of smacked him around a little bit. And nobody takes exception to this on the Blues. You know, Nazem Kadri, who has one goal in his last twenty nine games. It was a headshot to our best defenseman, Justin Falk, and knocked him out of the game. And I guess he's having a hearing today. I think they're going to suspend him for at least five games, if not more. Uh, you know, and the Blues, the Blues do nothing in retaliation. I mean, Jordan Bennington, what? He's going, to, he's going to yell at the other goalie at the end of the game. And, you know, Bortuzzo and Clifford kind of, you know, shoves the people. Nobody's, nobody's doing anything. Nobody's doing anything to get this team fired up. Somebody has to step up and say, all right, I'm going to carry you on my back. And the Blues have relied on O'Reilly to do that. And he got crunched last night on the first shift of the game. Um, they scored right after that. And the Blues just, they're, they're taking body blow, body blow, uppercut, and they're just not responding with anything. Somebody has to. I don't or, think this they is, can. or this is done. Well, I, I don't think, I, I, there, I, again, I'm not in the arena. So I may have a different view if I was watching 120 minutes in the arena. I'm watching on TV. I don't see Ray O'Reilly loafing it. I don't see the vast majority is on vast majority of players on this team loafing it. I'm just telling you, I have never, ever seen that top line play as aggressive as they are. I've seen Landeskog play eight, nine dozen games in his career. I have never occurred seen Landeskog this physical in consecutive games. Ever have I seen this guy? Landeskog is Landis Landeskog is is might be, might be, through 120 minutes of hockey, the most physical player on that ice. And there's no one that would have predicted that before the series. Well, Gabriel Landeskog, to me, is playing this series like it could be his last trip around the sun with the Colorado Avalanche. And there is a chance, with him being a UFA at the end of the year, that it could be. Because to pay Gabriel Landeskog what he deserves to be paid... 
I'm not sure that Colorado is going to be able to afford to do that when you have Kale McCarr as a restricted free agent and Nathan McKinnon coming up soon, right? So th- there's one fascinating aspect of that. I will say this to Tim's point, and I asked this question, and I'm not sure that, frankly, either one of us, any one of the three of us are going to have this answer. First off, there is there is a philosophy, and, and, I'm, and I really do agree with this. I don't believe that a guy needs to drop the gloves and fight after a clean hit every single time, right? Don't, don't get me wrong. I loved what Landeskog did. I, I loved what Braden Shen did. I love the hit, and I love all that aspect of the game, right? But there's a lot of times now where, you know, you see – you you see somebody coming in and, and, and a clean hit, and then, and then they end up fighting. Having said that, that was a clean hit that Landis Cock put on O'Reilly in the first period of game number two. And yeah. it got me thinking, when was the last time, when was the last time we saw a response from the St. Louis Blues as a team when their captain has gotten pasted or messed with? And I'm going to go back to the two other front and center incidents. Now, this is a playoff game. You got to control yourself a little bit. You don't want to take the instigator against Colorado because the penalty kill is non-existent against this team this year. So the reality of it is, though, is I look back and I go back to the big hit in the playoffs against David Backus from Chicago, right? And it was until years later that we saw Pat Maroon even run into uh, Brent Seabrook, right? So nobody ever, nobody ever go after Duncan Keith for the wakey-wakey comment, okay? We saw Jamie Benn sit on your captain, sit on him, face wash him, and zero response by anybody, right? And here it is, game two of the playoffs. Your captain's going back hard to get the puck. I'm not exactly sure where the defense one were because, like you, we're not in the building, so we had to be kind of stuck with what we were doing on TV, and uh, and we were getting no help by the 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 production side of Colorado with with these kinds of things. So they here's your captain, he gets chucked right into the wall, a goal gets given up. Again no response. Yeah, these are these are the captains of your team, right? And uh and and if anybody goes to take advantage of them, there sh- there should be a response. That's that's hockey. That has been hockey for ages. You know, even later in the game, when Nazem Kadri drew a penalty that's going to knock him out for this round, if not more, uh, no hearing has been officially set, but because it was a match penalty, he's automatically suspended until such hearing happens, right? Yeah, the Blues went to go after him, but they got their sticks in their hands, they've got their gloves on, like, and, and, and man, it can be frustrating at times. So right now, what you're seeing, what you're seeing, Colorado. I'm telling you right now, guys, what you're seeing, Colorado do, and I give them all the credit. And the Blues were, I mean, the Blues were a wounded bear coming into this thing anyway, with just another shot gut to, to the gut with the David Perron news, right? But the, what's happening to the St. Louis Blues right now through the first two games is kind of what happened to San Jose in 2019. Uh, for the Blues over the course of that series. Now, the Blues have ter- have time to, to turn the tide here a little bit, and they're going to come home to a good crowd on home ice, which is good, but they're going to have to come out with some real fire and anger in their belly, and it's going to have to come from some guys that, frankly, all season long have not played with fire or anger in their belly. Well, I'll, I'll point out a couple things here real quick. Number one, when it comes to who? Pareko is an obvious choice. But considering his health, you don't want him doing it. Bortuzzo was out of the game 
as it wore on, especially obviously out with the fall kit. Um, you're not wanting O'Reilly. I don't even want Shen fighting, to be honest with you, at this point in time. Right. You know, who's the biggest winner on that hockey team? Sammy Blay. Sanford. Okay. Who's the second biggest winner on that hockey team? Kyle Clifford. Hoston. The fact of the matter is, when you get right down to it, there are guys whose jobs should be, I mean, Kyle Clifford should be embarrassed. Seriously. He should be embarrassed that he didn't, in some form, some fashion, at some point in time in that game, make a statement. Zach Sanford, big guy. Not only does he continue to be useless and shy away from action when the puck's close and there happens to be an opposition within the vicinity, never once did a thing. Sammy Blay, big, thick guy. Absolutely nothing. There's only a handful of guys. I'm not going to take a shot at everyone because there are certain reasons that certain guys couldn't do things. But there, there are three guys right there. And again, with Blay, some of the injuries, I don't know what's there to be had. But I've heard nothing about Kyle Clifford and an injury. I've heard nothing about Zach Sanford and an injury. Because these other guys, Mikula's not a fighter. Because the, wor- the worst thing that could happen with making a statement is to have your ass handed to you making a statement. That just that just gets the snowball rolling downhill even that much faster. Well, well, the statement doesn't Kyle, have to come with dropping Kyle, the gloves and the fist. The, the statement the statement has no, to no, come you with heard a little me say, you said, No, no, no. You heard me say, do something physical. Yes. That's all. Right. That's it. Nothing. Kyle Clifford, excuse me, is a veteran of the wars. Kyle Clifford knows what he could have done. Sanford's big enough. He knows. We saw Sanford get hacked off one time, and he went mad dog crazy. But that was because something happened to him. One time I'd like to see this guy do something for his teammates. The problem, Kurt, is there's nobody in this organization who really takes that role on a regular basis. That's something I, I guarantee you this much. If Pat Maroon was in that game last night, something would have happened. And the other thing with this series, as we continue to break this down in various aspects, even from the standpoint of physicality, this series, 120 minutes in, has me missing Oscar Sundquist so much. Yes. So much right now, dude. Well, I'll tell you what, and I realize some of these are probably empty net related, but Ryan O'Reilly is minus six in two games. And the Blues have had to put out their starting lineup first as the road team in the first two games of the series. And Colorado head coach Jared Bedrick gets to put out who he wants to put out there. He has chosen, and he controls the, the matches for the most part, he has chosen to put his top line out against our top line. And I wonder if it's time for Greg Ruby to say uh, enough's enough. Does, I mean, do you continue to suffer the abuse? I mean, sometimes change is just good for the sake of change. And I'm not saying the Blues have a defensive shutdown line, but getting O'Reilly away from McKinnon and maybe allowing him to do some things instead of just worrying about McKinnon. Let somebody else worry about him because O'Reilly's not scoring and his line isn't scoring. And I realize Perron isn't there. You know, the, I, I think McKinnon is in O'Reilly's head at this point, or he's certainly in the Blues' head. Maybe that's unfair to O'Reilly, but he's certainly in their head, and they've got to do something. They've got to do something to change to change it up. Whether it's you know, 
And I realize you can't just go slashing guys and then taking revenge-minded penalties because their penalty, their power play just killed us throughout. So you can't just go playing stupid like that. But playing mean, playing physical, you know, I mean, God rest, God rest his soul, Bobby Plager. But when you talk to Bobby Plager, he talked about how it just drove him nuts that Pareko didn't play meaner as big as he was. And, and, and I really would, you know, you know, and if Pareko's not going to be uh, an Eric Johnson, a Kale McCarr, an offensive-minded, big right-handed shooting guy, if he's just going to be kind of a shutdown D guy, then start playing mean. Do something. Make your mark. Well, I don't, again, considering that they're in the playoffs and considering that from everything we know, unless someone knows otherwise, He's still dealing with an iffy back, having had two back surgeries and having been in a tussle once shortly after a back surgery. Dude, getting into a fight with a bad back is not a real smart move. I'm, I'm telling you. I'm not, not saying fight. I'm not saying fight. I'm saying throw a cross check, you know, throw an elbow, you know, play oh, mean, let him know you're there. Last, don't, don't be moving it. Nobody's moving it. He did hit a couple guys. You, Jonas Donskoy is that, you know, it's not an immovable uh, object in front of the net, but he was last night. You know, I mean, that, that, do something to to show that you're six five and can play mean and play deep. If you're gonna play, play. See, I mean, I, I I guess I'm just looking at this greatly different because Tim, ninety nine point nine percent of the people that I spoke to would utter every word, would be sitting here cheering you on in an arena, beat his ass, beat his ass. But I'm not going to give in because I'm telling you what, right now, I saw the Blues for half the game in period number one play with the Colorado. I saw the Blues play for two periods with Colorado last night. The problem is there is one elite line that is playing like an elite line. And it's been unstoppable. I don't know. That's why I keep saying I don't know that the Blues can completely change this thing because I don't have an answer. I mean, I, I, I mean I'm not putting you on the spot, Kurt's on the spot, anybody. I'll keep asking the same question. What line are you going to put out there? That somehow, some way, going to shut down three guys who are playing incredible collective hockey. You and don't as well have, as I've ever seen a line play for two games. You just the, the the challenge that the Blues have right now, and I like what Craig Berube said after the game when, when he broke down the games. He talked about how those goals were preventable: blocking a shot here, blocking a shot there. But that's where I got to give some credit. Like you go to the game one and you go to the shot of Kale McCarr, and I mean, at one point he walked. Tyler Bozak to get the shot through. Another time he walked uh, Ryan O'Reilly to get a shot through. That shot on that first goal from Nathan McKinnon, he's able to get, and this is where it's preventable. He came down and he took that shot from almost dead even with the faceoff dot, right? Craig Berube wants to see his team get out there in front of it. One of the things and one of the challenges that the Blues are trying to do, and, and, and part of this is just a complete lack of confidence on the penalty kill is instead of trying to chase it down and get walked, now they took a little bit of a passive approach. Well, what happens when you take the passive approach? Nathan McKinnon comes in, uses Robert Bortuzzo as the screen. Not only does he have his own player in front of him, right, but then shoots the puck through Bortuzzo's legs, which is just a great shot, and he's able to get that puck through. The, the Blues, How many guys do that this week, Kurt? Uh, no, not How many. How many guys in this league do that? Not many. We've seen Perron. We've seen a few guys, but that's that's a snipe. And, and, and again, this is where you do give credit to, to superior skill when it's due. But w- what happened like in last night, I mean, the, the Blues were very good on the faceoff dot in game one. They were very bad in, on the faceoff dot in game two. All right. I Maybe take a look. At, they've been all year. I look, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly, who is one of the best in the business, was only 30% in game two. 
But I look at, again, you look at the penalties uh, in, in last night. Robert Thomas puts it over the glass. I know it's a mistake. I know it's an error, but it's just one you cannot make. It's no, just one, no. and I know we're dealing with a young player, but it's just one that you cannot make, and that's where the pressure got to him in the game. And that's that's youth and that's inexperience, but it just can't happen. The Ivan Barbashev one, okay, by the rules, the stick got in on the hands, that ends up being a hook. Now, Barubi's fired up that there wasn't a pick called prior to that. That takes McKinnon off the ice if that call is made, but it wasn't. All right, and, and you, end up, you end up in that situation. The, the Blues have put themselves in the penalty box, right? Three times, there they shouldn't have been in the penalty box. The Ryan O'Reilly trip in game number one, all right, and and the Colorado has scored on each of those, yep. you know. So so let's let's put that there. If you can find a way, if you can find a way, and maybe maybe McKinnon, Landis, Cog, and Ranton aren't going to let you do it. But if you can find a way to slow down that top line, you've got a chance in the series. Look, I know Donskoy had a big game, but he had a big game off the feeds from McKinnon. You know, the, the Blues have done a good job with, with, with the rest of that team for the most part in this series. You've got to be exactly. encouraged. Well, you've got to be encouraged halfway through that game, game two. You've got to be encouraged that the Blues outshot Colorado 25-13 to 13 through the second and third periods of game two. I think you've got to be extraordinarily encouraged. I think Jordan Bennington has just been fantastic through two games, and and he continues to he continues to just be your best player on the ice, uh, you know, hands down. You know, there's that. I really like the move that Craig Berube made by putting Jordan Cairo up on in, on the line with Ryan O'Reilly. I thought Cairo was effective with his speed last night. Was he as good defensively yep. as you're going to need? No, but to Tim's point. You might have to take O'Reilly against McKinnon off the book so Kyra and those guys can move. But Kyra's definitely shown he's got to be in your top six. Hey. Okay. And, and and I'll also say this. You look at look at Winnipeg's win over Edmonton last. You know, guess Winnipeg beat Edmonton four to one. Guess who wasn't on the score sheet for the Edmonton Oilers? Guess which two names were not on the score sheet? Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Okay? Nobody is unstoppable. And those are the two most unstoppable guys in the National Hockey League last year. The Blues have to go into panic mode and and figure out what it is that they did against Brandon McKinnon in the games where they successful in holding him off the score sheet because they played him eight times this year and he didn't kill him all eight games. There were games that they held him in check. Yeah, well, he did have fourteen I, I, points though in seven games. Again, the the, the, the simple the simplest thing is to say fix it. I don't know what they can do to fix it. Well, that's other than. Other than your other three lines just have to be superior. But there's question marks there. You know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. In a series like this, I, w- I would take Robert Tom- or, uh, yeah, Robert Thomas or, 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 uh, Jaden Schwartz, take one of the two of them out, take Shen out, and I put Jocelyn and Constant in. I take a chance with Constant being a big body with offensive talent, and I'll take a guy like Joshua. He's going to roam that ice and make you earn every inch of it over what they're getting out of these guys right now. But there's limited options. I mean, it is, you know, it, it, it is what it is. The St. Louis Blues have not lost two games. The Colorado Avalanche won two games. And for some reason, in the city of St. Louis, nobody can ever accept that as an explanation. Well, Colorado has earned these two wins. The Blues haven't given anything. Bennington is not giving up one cheap goal. He hasn't given up a goal. Has not given up a cheap goal. I will tell you this much, and again, it's something I don't talk about, and I'm not going to talk about. But I can tell you this much: I'm a little pissed 
at three penalties that were clear penalties that did not give the Blues power play opportunities. But I move on. I just got to get that off my chest because now I'm a fan instead of an analyst. But the Blues are not getting any breaks from the referees. Now, I'm not going to say it again, Curb. But the Blues are not getting any assistance from the referees. You don't listen, but here's the deal. This is... You don't get those breaks when you're getting dominated. Okay, it doesn't happen. You you do not get the breaks when the games feel as lopsided as as games one or two felt. But to your to your point about options for the St. Louis Blues, and this is the challenge here. I mean, people underestimate the importance of losing Carl Gunnarsson. I mean, it's something you don't hear about. Right. This was a guy that might be a healthy scratch on a given night but then would come right into the lineup and play the next four games on your top defense pairing with Alex Petrangelo, right? And you now you were down to four defensemen in that game, and then that and you saw the Blues play with some great desperation. I thought the defensemen did admirably, especially Nico Mikola in that game too. But if you're looking at this, and at the time that we're recording this, this is on the off day, a travel day between games two and three. We do not know right now whether or not Robert Bortuzzo or Justin Falk are going to be available for game three. You have to think they're not based on what we saw, but right now we do not know. So the Blues have gone to Utica. I mean, Utica season's over. They've called up Tyler Tucker, a defenseman, a seventh-round defenseman. They're not going to have Jake Wallman available yet. He's not off the COVID list. Craig Berube said after the game, no, he's not available. You've got Vince Dunn. We don't know what's wrong with Vince Dunn. He's been skating. Craig Berube's not letting on to what's going on there, so is Vince Dunn available? We don't know. If you have two defensemen out, you're about to go into game three against the President's Trophy winning team. Mitch Ranke is going to be one of your defensemen, and you might have to put Tyler Tucker in that lineup. You don't have another option. I'm going to take it one oh, I'm step so, I'm further. Sorry, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. i got to get that right. Steven Santini. And Mitch Rinke right. with Tyler Tucker backing it up. So I, I forgot to mention Santini, but you don't, you don't have some options there. And, and let me let me jump on the forward side here real quick, John. The forward side, it, your, your options are, okay, if you put Clem Costin in, who do you take out? Now, after game one, you're thinking, okay, I'm taking out one of the players on that fourth line. I'm going to move Barbashev down. I'm going to solidify a line, right? Okay, and, and you're okay with that. But in the end, the most effective line you might have had last night that helped turn that game around was that line of Sanford, Blay, and Clifford. And they played a really solid game in the end of it. So after that, are you going to make that change? I don't necessarily, I, unless there's an injury, I, I mean, I, unless there's an injury, I can't foresee any player in the top nine that you would take out of the lineup for somebody right now that is currently not in the lineup. I don't see an upgrade anywhere in there. And I'll tell you this, you know, this is sort of wide, wide reaching, but since the blues beat Boston in game seven in 2019, they have lost now nine postseason games in a row. And if they get, if they get dominated at home in games three and game four and get swept in this series, I don't possibly see how Doug Armstrong can justify going into next season with the nucleus being what it is, having been dominated by a team whose average age of star player is about 23 years old. I mean, at some point, guys have to think that they're playing for jobs and they're playing for stability within the organization. That, I mean, because if That's they get a heck swept, of a point there, that'll be, nine, that'll be nine in a row. Well, or actually, no, it'll be, uh, it would be 11 in a row. 
Yeah, if you count, like, I mean, I know the National Hockey League yeah. is counting those, uh, the round robin yeah. games as playoff games. I, 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 so they I, were. I guess they are. I don't count them, but the, the, but the league counts them, you know. The, the, well, they, well, the, the, the Blues are round robin games, but the Blues were in the playoffs regardless. Right. I agree. Yeah. But, but, but it was a, it was a game that meant something in terms of seeding. You know, it was a playoff game. Those stats went to playoff career stats, yeah, not regular right. season stats. Yep. You know, but even then, but John, if if we go back to that, like the, the, this team is so broken physically right now, and 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 with, with COVID not helping at all. I mean, again, it's such a gut punch for David Perron that you know there's no depth options, which which does to Tim's point, kind of like moving ahead. You know, you just, it's not like you're sitting there holding back somebody that's knocking on the door offensively to come in, and you don't have room for them. You just don't have that offensive guy right now that's knocking on the door to come in. So I, I'm not sure how you can now. I would I like the idea of Dakota Joshua in this lineup. I have liked the idea of him in in the lineup uh, throughout this series, just because uh, I, I think, for example, he can go head to head, you know, on a Belmar, and it'd, it'd be a it'd be a good uh, hard nose. I just I, I like the intensity and smart hockey that he's bring that he's brought. Here's here's the one thing I do know: you you have lost the first two games of this series, and you've lost them pretty handily. So if there is an option for Craig Berube, you almost have to try it because what you have right now isn't working unless you just look at it and you go, man, this is all we've got, and we've got to hope that the home cooking is going to be a difference maker. Well, and they just – defensively, they just had no breaks this year because the point I was going to make earlier, which I think is apropos when we're talking about the Avalanche, some young defensemen who have gotten their um, – gotten their uh, – tip. Uh, uh, gotten their toe in the uh, in the pool is and it's it goes back a long time ago now, but I really would have liked to have seen how this team would have evolved if Scott Prinovich had gotten an opportunity to play. Well, that's yep. Yeah, put just another one on the injured list. Season loss to uh, to college's top hockey player. Exactly. Which is exactly. what Caleb Carr was before he became an Avalanche. He was college top, right. top yep. player. Exactly. No, I mean, that's, I mean, what he would have been. But you know what, guys? When when you look at to put some type of positive PR spin on last night, when you look at and you break down Colorado's non-empty net goals, a slap shot from the center point with five guys, as I counted, between the shooter and Bennington, and they got they got the, and they got the tip that they needed. A wrist shot from outside the dot that, as John talked about. Uh, was the only place where about two inches of space existed between Bennington and the post, and McKinnon put it right there. That's a low-percentage shot. A wrist shot from the center point by McKinnon that gets through everybody in front of the net. Colt Pranko can't even get a shot through the guy in front of him. McKinnon gets a wrist shot from the center point that's four feet off the ice and, and tickles the underbelly of the crossbar with five guys in front of the net. And, and Bennington somewhat of a screen. Wrist shots from the center point is a low percentage shot. A wrist shot from outside the dot is a low percentage shot. A slap shot from the center point with five guys in front is a low percentage shot. Bounce, bounce, bounce. They got every bounce they needed last night. They won the game as a result of it. When you look at the Blues goals, at least they scored, at least Hoffman scored a goal off the rush, and, and Blaze sort of scored a goal uh, off of at least an extended zone uh, offensive cycle, which was at a bare minimum last night. They got all the bounces like that. Hey, don't get me wrong. They were the better team, and that ice was heavily tilted Colorado's way. But they got every bounce last night also. 
Well, I, I will say this much right now. The two of my guys, unfortunately, have been spotlighted by yours truly. Um, Mike, Mike Hoffman has created more opportunities than anything we through through two games. I got no problem with Mike Hoffman's play. Right now, Robert Thomas is making me look foolish. He's Robert Thomas. Robert Thomas may be the second worst thing with blue on the ice right now. Behind Tampa. He doesn't look like he's playing with a load of confidence, does he? No. No. This is and this is this is where you've got to be real careful because he's such a young player at 21 years of age. And I know, I mean, I know he won a Stanley Cup his rookie season, and then he had COVID come in. You've got this other stuff. Uh, I, I'm telling you, like that one, that one, you've got to be careful with if you're Doug Armstrong and, and how things go. Robert Thomas just looks to me like a player kind of that could use the off season to 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 catch up. Does that make sense? I mean, it's not a. Oh yeah, I no, mean, no, I, Robert. I, Robert. I, like you know, you know how like, Robert, like 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 how many times like over the last year in your own job have you gone? Jesus, could I use a week? You know, like Robert Thomas probably going, especially with the two injuries he's had. It's like, man, could I use a uh, man? Could I use an off season? Now it may come sooner than he wants if things don't turn around. But man, are you, you're dealing with youth. You are dealing with youth in the National Hockey League on that one, brother. I never say I've never said that in my life because the good thing about being me is that mediocrity is never questioned, <laughs> and I am consistently mediocre. But uh, but you could, I'm telling you, Robert Thomas. After Robert Thomas put this team in a precarious position last night, he was a non-factor in that game. The mental aspect, I think you're 197% correct on. That kid lost every bit of confidence. I mean, he he he, he literally was a non-factor in that game. The remainder of that contest, and I think I think that play was in his head. I think I think unfortunately, my expectations of Thomas may have been artificially inflated. Uh, by my lack of knowledge when it comes to what it takes to be a successful hockey player. Um, because right now, this this moment seems way too big for him, and I didn't expect that. Well, I will say this. Go, go ahead, Tim. Uh, just real quick, on top of that, you know, and I realize he, he's underperformed and, and he's been less than what we expected. And we're all wowed by his skating ability and his stick-handling ability, but then you know, the points aren't there, the results aren't there, and John's absolutely right. But I also say that it'd be nice to see this team play with a lead for a change. You know, This yep. team plays differently when they have the lead. They've been a smothering team with the lead. They've been able to extend leads, especially in the last month and a half of the season. And, and to, to get down early and often against a team on the road, I mean, it, you're just skating uphill. And uh, they, they have not had a lead this entire series. It'd be nice to see the team play with the lead and see what type of confidence they can have as a team with the lead. And well, that, to me, yeah, becomes I, I, the I, biggest just, key tomorrow. A game, heading, heading into game three, the biggest key is grab a lead. Grab a lead. Come out come out strong in the first period. Grab a lead. And, and I think they've got the ability to do that. Nick, a change. I do also think, guys, I'm going to be – I think, to, to Tim's point, he made a few minutes earlier, and, and we'll, we'll wind down with this one. Home ice – and a different a different philosophy. I, I I'm telling you, I really believe that what we've seen from Colorado has been masterful game planning by Jared Bednar and his coaching staff, which includes former Blue assistant Ray Bennett and right and and Nolan Pratt. 
and then the execution has been about as flawless as the game planning has been. And there's a, there's two things that, that come to mind with me on this one. The first one, you look at their total shots on goal and shave those by about 10 in terms of shots that really aren't much of a threat. But we watched the third line and the fourth line for Colorado for two games. They get the puck in the zone. They don't go to grind it out. They just get it. They put it right to the net. And you watch, they're, they're throwing, some, some of these guys, they're just throwing pillows right into the chest of Jordan Bennington to get a faceoff in the offensive zone. Because then Craig Berube's putting a group out there and and Bednar's coming out with one of his top two lines, right? And they're getting offensive zone faceoffs for it. In game one, in game one, there were 38 offensive zone faceoffs for Colorado compared to 15 for the St. Louis Blues. That's part of the game plan, and they're executing it. And even though they lost a lot of those faceoffs, except for the power play, Colorado won seven of eight on the power play in, in game one. But but even though at five on five in game one they lost a lot of those, in game two they won a lot of them. But because of their speed and the way they're able to smother the Blues in, they're okay losing that offensive zone faceoff because the Blues breakouts haven't hurt them. The Blues are getting it to the blue line, turning it over at the red line, and it's coming back in. I, yeah, Again, credit where credit's due here. They came in with a game plan, and not only did they have it, but they have executed it extraordinarily well. And now it's up to Craig Berube on home ice to see if he can get Bednar to alter that game plan and get his team some favorable matchups. Well, and I, I think Tim, again, makes an excellent point in regards to getting the lead because what, what if Tarasenko doesn't miss that shot five minutes in? What if Hoffman is just a split second quicker before the defenseman gets there with his stick and scores that wraparound? It's a different game. What? That's all I'm saying. Yeah. You know. So when I'm and if my aunt had a mustache, she'd be my uncle. (laughs) (laughs) You make me laugh because I have an aunt with a mustache. But anyhow, (laughs) and do you and do you call her Uncle Bob? I just avoid her at all costs because it's like I must have must have. Anyhow, you know, I, again, I'm not sitting here being a blues homer. I've given Colorado their just desserts. They've owned this. They 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 earned both these wins. And like I said, that McKinnon line. I mean, I've just I've just applauded. They've been so spectacular. But you know, the Blues had a chance last night, and if they get out early opportunities in Game One. You know, as bad as it looks, there's opportunities that have have had either been uh, capitalized on or not given, i.e. Robert Thomas putting the puck over a net late in the period, then things could be different, which is why I still hold out hope that somehow, some way, you know, other, you know, this. I'm I'm going to wrap up with this one. I'm I'm, like, two guys. Two guys that I think are going to be absolutely key in these next two games on home ice. All right? And they're two guys that you haven't seen enough from in this series yet. Jaden Schwartz is one. Vladimir Tarasenko is the other. Uh, I, I look at this situation here, and, and this could be fair or unfair. It, it doesn't matter whether it's fair or unfair. This is the reality. With David Perron out, and he ain't coming back. He's on the COVID list. All right? With David Perron out. They need offense. You see Shen giving it what he's got. Shen's better as a centerman than he is on the wing. It's the way it's been for three years with the Blues. All right, You'd like to see Shen back at center. Possibly. 
I mean, Craig Berube may may not have a choice to go to that, but the problem is, is Shen's one of his most reliable players, so he's trying to put him with with O'Reilly to to hang on to that McKinnon line, and it just hasn't worked. Uh, it hasn't worked out just because, as we talked about, McKinnon being what he's done. But two things: Schwartz Schwartz isn't making enough plays with the puck. He's got he's got tremendous speed. The stick handling, for whatever reason, just isn't there. The passing. To where somebody can do something with it just hasn't been there. I have never seen an NHL player pass better to invisible teammates than Jaden Schwartz. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, that's kind of my point. Is and again, this is a confidence thing. When you're gripping the stick, when you're fighting it a little bit, you know you force things, and so you get the puck in the corner. You hope that somebody's in the middle of the ice. You chuck it there, and the thing is, he's getting it there, but nobody's there. It may not be the play at the right time. You know, now maybe somebody's got to start getting there, realizing Schwartz is making these plays, and you've got to get away from him and get into the front of the net. So maybe that's part of it. But either way, they're going to need Jaden Schwartz to be more effective uh, to, to help relieve the pressure. And again, we don't know what the second injury was to Vladimir Tarasenko that had him miss those final six games. We know that he just really was never quite himself with with the shot coming back from the shoulder injury. You know, and maybe it's going to take another off season. It takes that full year and a half to to come back from it. Who knows? But only two players on the Blues roster in Game Two did not have a shot on goal, aside from your goalie, and that was Robert Bortuzzo and Vladimir Tarasenko. And he is a critical player there. Is it fair to to, to put that on him now? I don't know because I don't know where the complete health is. But the reality of it is, is they're going to need both those guys to find a way to be more impactful in the game. You can't allow one line to have 13 shots on you in one game. McKinnon, Landeskog, and Ranson have combined for 26 shots in two games. That that has to be halved at minimum for this team to have any fighting chance in the world. It's a good way to put it. All right, well, the cool news is we got a home game on, on Friday night. And the better news is we're going to have a special Saturday edition talking about the Blues looking to tie the series 2-2 on Sunday. I like that thought. I like that thought a lot. That's Tim Woodburn. That's John Hadley. It's bourbon biscuits and barn burners. I got to get into a new bottle soon, boys, so we can talk some bourbon too. But this has just been hardcore hockey, and that's what it should be come playoff time. Blues expecting to have 9,000 fans in the arena. We'll get in some of these other playoff series as well, but there's just a lot to talk through. Oh, hey, you know what we didn't get into? We, we didn't get into uh, Naz, Naz, Nazem Kadri's hit. Do, do, well, he's, having a, he's having he's having an, he, they gave him the option of having an in-person hearing today. Normally, the NHL only does that if the suspension is going to be five games or longer. So, you know, some of the Blues have come out today in the media and said that they compare it to Tom Wilson's hit on Sunfist uh, a couple years ago in which he got 20 games. I think it was reduced eventually to 14 or 16. But uh, you may not see Nazem Kadri the rest of the playoffs because of that hit. And you know what? I rewatched that hit. As we're taping this podcast, I rewatched that hit. And Kadri lays him out, and Falk is, in a, is, in a, is unconscious, basically, on the ice and not moving. And Bozak Hoffman and Thomas were out there at the time, and not a single guy even glove-raked the face of Nazem Kadri. They went over there and yelled at him. For God's sake, can somebody on this team play mean? And, and not just Colton Brako. Can somebody on this team play mean and show that they give a crap? Please. I will put it to you this way. I will put it to you this way. Let's bet ours come out to something I haven't seen today. His comments last night say it all. When your own coach says, well, we're just going to see how the league does, 
I'll leave it at that. Everyone yeah. tells you the coach knows that his guy is pulling up. Nazem Kadri will not see the ice for the rest of this series and potentially part of, if not all of, the next one based on his history and how that'll go. We'll see how the league throws that one out there. All right, guys, let's get ready for some Friday night home hockey in St. Louis and uh, let's reconvene and see how things go after game three. Let's go, Blues. Go get them. That's Tim Woodburn. That's John Hadley. I'm Chris Kerbins. Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners Playoff Edition number one. We'll be back with you as this series moves along. Thanks for downloading the podcast. Let your friends know about it. And you can get it on any one of the podcast platforms. It's Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners.